All right, it is Christmas time, and I am 100% down for everything Christmas, all right? And so as we go through December, we, we're excited to celebrate the birth of our Savior. And there's, there's songs that we know by heart that, that just glorify God, and there's songs that are connected to the season that are just kind of fun songs that we know within the season. And, and we're going to just briefly, we're going to sing a section, a snippet, and if you know these words, you can hop in and sing along with us. But we're going we're gonna to sing a song that's familiar to you guys, Walking in a Winter Wonderland. A little snippet. Go and take us through it, Aspen. You can sing along if you know <laughs> it. In the meadow we can build a snowman And pretend that he is Parson Brown He'll say, are you married? We'll say, no man But you can do the job of one town Later on, we'll conspire on a fresh dream by the fire to face unafraid the plans that we made. Walking in a winter wonderland, walking in a winter wonderland, walking in a winter wonderland. All right, thank you. That's awesome. All right. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when you look back over your Christmases, over your years, over your life, o over so many things, and, and specifically thinking about the plans that we made when we were young, newly in love, this is what life is going to be like. Let's dream by the fire. It's, you know, my kids would never act that way at Christmas time, right? I mean, all the naive kind of early dreams, it's like, you know, if I were to kind of take the majority of the dreams that I thought of what life was going to be like when I was a 20-something kid looking forward, I'd, I'd say it would be well described as a dumpster fire of dreams, like things that just caught fire and kept burning. And, and it's one of those things that the plans that we make, we know how the plans that we make usually turn out. And, and I just want to, today we're going to be diving into the Christmas story over the course of the next few weeks. And, and there's different pieces that, that have so much rich meaning that I really want to work through together. Be, because some of it is encouraging and freeing and some of it is challenging, but I believe that it's all very beneficial. And, and the overarching theme throughout this next series is pretty, pretty simple. What are these? Christmas lights, Yes. Why do we have Christmas lights? Is it to push the, you know, revenue of Lowe's and Home Depot forward because these things get broken, lost, and stop working every single year? Um, is it to push hospital revenue forward because we were up on that ladder when we shouldn't have been? It, maybe it pushes marriage counseling revenue forward because, yeah, you know. <laughs> I know, too. <laughs> Put the lights just a little bit higher. The roof stops here. I can't go any higher. It, cr Christmas lights, there's a lot of funny emotions that are tied around them, but, but in actuality, like, their purpose is really simple. Their purpose is, is to be a light. And, and there's so much that we think of and feel when we see Christmas lights. There's so much of us that, you know, okay, it just needs to be a little bit brighter than the neighbors. It's got to be a little bit more, a couple more statues, a couple more inflatables, a couple more yard ornaments and everybody else so that they know that we have the most Christmas spirit on this block. Like, like those things get tied into it, but it, at its root, it's just the simplest thing. The point is to be a light. And a light only 
shines in the darkness. It has a perfect it has a purpose, and it has a beauty when it's doing its job. But so often, it's not doing anything. And when we look at lives, we look at our own life, we look at seasons, it's just a, even sometimes we've seen in churches that it seems like it's just a bundle of lights on a shelf rather than lights that are out on display lighting up the darkness. And the heartbeat behind this series is I want to encourage you and I want to help you to shine bright with, with this light that Jesus Christ has placed in your heart and in your life during these holiday seasons. Because the holiday seasons, they do have their own different stresses and they ha have these expectations and we have these plans and, and these dreams of what the holiday gathering is going to finally be like this year once everyone's together under the same roof and it doesn't always work out the same. We're going to pick up the passage. If you have your Bible with you, you can open to Luke chapter 1, the Gospel of Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 26. If you don't have your Bible, we'll be projecting the words on the screen, and, and, and we're starting at verse 26. And we're jumping to, into this situation with Mary, which is a story that, that we all know, but there's some details that I believe will they'll be encouraging to you today. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph a descendant of King David. Now, I want to just kind of start on something that, that seems so, so basic about knowledge. But first of all, you know, little town, little life, l big dreams, though. I mean, when it comes to your dreams, they're never small, even if you're from a small town. You dream for the right kind of family, the right kind of kids. And Mary was engaged. So she was in this point where she was thinking about her future full on force. I'm sure she dreamed about it as a young girl, as all young girls do. But this was the point where, man, it was exciting. And she found a husband that she was going to get married to, and it wasn't just anybody. Like, he was a good man. He, he had a good job. He worked hard. He followed after God. He was well-respected. And they were going to get married and have a life together. And, and then in that situation, we, during all the planning, all the dreams, we, we begin in this, this redirection that happens. And, and I'm just going to kind of pause here because, I mean, just think of the emotion and the closeness. I mean, do you remember, for those of you guys who've been married, do you remember how important the floral decorations at your table were at one brief moment in your life? Like, like the food being this and not that, and I understand the men were shaking our head no's, but, but it was important to the person sitting next to you. I mean, the plates, the cups, they all were hand-selected. They were all so important. The marriage was so important. And, and here, in this situation where she's preparing to be married, she, she has this change that begins to happen. And, and change happens, and it comes in situations where maybe you weren't expecting it, maybe you weren't ready for it. But I want to identify that, especially when change comes from God, it, it can happen in two di different categories. Sometimes change happens when you're going, and you're going in the direction that you felt like you've been going for a long time. You're like, this is where God wants me to go. And then sometimes there's an interruption that happens, where God just interrupts the situation like he did with Mary, like he did with Peter, where Jesus called to Peter, and Peter had been a fisherman, and he thought he'd probably be a fisherman through all of his days, and Jesus said, no, come and follow me. And sometimes you'll find yourself going through life, going through your occupation, where God puts a fresh, new calling and changes the direction of your life. Sometimes that happens, and it just happens because I've been going through, I've been obedient to God, and I was certain he wanted me to go here, but now he's calling me somewhere else. 
And that happens. We see that with Peter. We see that with Paul. When the Apostle Paul said, I wanted to go preach in one town, there's times where the Spirit of God said, no, you can't go there. You're going to go here. And sometimes God changes the direction. I also want to identify, sometimes the plans of how our life is going and where we think it's going to go, they change not just because God spoke into it, but sometimes they change because this is very pastoral and caring of me, because you did something stupid. And, and I don't want to miss this fact that it's true, that sometimes we go through seasons in our life where we have to correct course in our job, in our marriage, in our integrity, because something happened that shouldn't have happened. And, and you know, you can use Jonah as an example of this. When Jonah received a calling from God, he should have headed east towards present-day Iraq from Israel, but he headed west. I mean, he boarded a, a boat. He was going to basically Spain, modern-day Spain. He was in the r- wrong direction. And he ended up getting to travel to Nineveh where God said he needed to go, but he traveled there by fish. It would have been a lot more comfortable to travel there by foot or to travel there by donkey. And some of you guys, you feel like, yeah, I've, I've gone through a season where it felt like I'm traveling by fish towards where God said I needed to be. Like it stunk, it was terrible, it was cramped, it was not what I expected. There was a lot of pressure, and, and at the end of the day, I, it felt like vomit. Like, I mean, you've been through those seasons. But the truth is sometimes we walk through difficult changes in our life because of choices that we've made small or large. But there's that tension that we feel when we say, okay, this was the plan. This is what I thought would work, whether it's a plan that we knew this was running from God or a plan of saying, I was honoring God in this area and I felt so solidified that this was how the next 10 years of my life was going to look, but now God is speaking and pulling me in a new direction. Those changes happen. But the question is, how is our heart going to react when we begin to feel that, that voice when we begin to feel that push of God saying, I need you to step this way. H- how are we going to react to that when God begins to speak in those ways? And, and I want to just pull in a couple other passages to help us understand some things. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, Paul uses this picture in this illustration of foundations. And, and he's talking about how he went and he planted churches and he got people who, who, who began to walk with Christ in their life. And, and he described this, he says, I laid for them a foundation which no other foundation can be laid except for that of Jesus Christ. And and you can only build upon that. And he gave this picture that if you build on the foundation, you have to be careful what you build on it because some things won't matter and they'll be washed away, but some things you build on there and it it will stand. And, and, And this picture is important for us because the way that we see our plans, the way that we see the things that are ahead of us, as a believer in Christ, you have to say, okay, there's a foundation on which my plans need to be built. There's a foundation which the structure of my life should stand on. And in regards to your plans, if we begin to say, okay, I know that this is the foundation of Jesus Christ. This is how he said my life should be. But I'm going to live outside of that. And I'm going to build my life outside of that. We shouldn't act surprised when when that begins to crumble. When that structure doesn't hold. When, When I went outside of God's bounds for how I was supposed to date or marry or how I should act in my career and I went outside of that, I'm not going to be surprised when those things crumble. Because God has said there is a foundation, and, and it's the ways of Jesus Christ. It's the person of Jesus Christ, and this is what we build our life on. And when we build on that, that's when it stands strong. And so the plans for our life, first of all, they need to be on that foundation. And so we've been looking and dreaming of something that is not in God's design. We need, to, we need to let that dream go. But the second thing is that we need to understand that when we build on this, It's got to be what he wants. It's got to be what he designs. And so if the design that God has for our life is a little different than what ours, we have to have the faith and the trust 
say, God, what you want is what I want. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of twisting just a little bit the, the lyrics to the song that we just sang, Walking in a Winter Wonderland, so, so that some of this might stick in your head. And even as you hear this song a thousand times, because it's going to be on every radio station throughout Southwest Florida, Walking in a Winter Wonderland, hopefully this phrase might just stick in your head, uh, of twisting it and saying, I will face unafraid the plans as they change. And husbands, you can sing this to your wife if you want to, but I'm not responsible for you getting slapped or stabbed or whatever happens to you as things get tense, because I understand at the holidays they get tense. But this is my, this is my encouragement. This is my heart for you. This is a small, small theological piece to bring into this Christmas season. Plans are going to change from the biggest things of where you live and where you work and where you go to school. Those things will change. The smaller things they'll change too of what we expected to happen at the family Christmas gathering, of what the food was going to be like, about what the atmosphere is going to be like. And as those change, we need, to, we need to be able to carry the same peace, the same calmness through each of those different seasons. And, and that's easy to say from the stage in the middle of a sermon. It's a lot dif- more difficult when, when things are going crazy around your household. But, but this, this sense of not being afraid of the changes that come I believe that it is a process, because even if we see with Mary, there's some details in here that maybe you've skipped over as you've read this passage in the past, but I think they're significant, and they're encouraging to me. Uh, We're going to go back to the verse in verse 28. It says, Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. I just want to, confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her. For you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. And and I just want to kind of stop and go through a, a couple things. I always like to point out the reality of interactions with people and angels in scripture because we were like, you know, we like to tell little children they look like angels or tell your wife she looks like an angel. But, you know, theologically, and I'm a theological nerd, actions throughout the course of scripture when anyone sees an angel is terror. So, <laughs> if you tell somebody they look like an angel, then you're telling them you're terrified of them. Um, but that, that's just, you can chuckle about that. Don't, say, don't use that in your wife once again. I don't want to endanger your life with your wife. Um, but, but this interaction, and it's a reality that if you ever were face-to-face with an angelic being, I would tell you that you would just be, you would be terrified to the point of being unable to move. And I mean, that's what we see throughout Scripture. And so, so we see in this interaction that as it starts, Mary, the, this girl who was planning and dreaming about her wedding, she, she's disturbed, and she's confused. And I just want to tell you that a, as things change in your life, you're not God's first child to be scared of changes that are coming. You're not, you're not the first of God's children to be anxious and worried about what's happening. You're not the first of God's children to lose their cool in a situation either. And, you know, if conversations in heaven amongst family happen anything like conversations with families on earth, I mean, it would be funny to see Jesus interact with Mary about this. It's like, you know, the very first time you heard that I was going to be part of your life, you were disturbed and confused and terrified. That's great, Mom. And it's like, no, I was, I was, distur- I was confused, but I wasn't really disturbed. And, you know, the vein was coming out of your neck. Like, you were freaking out. Um, like, like, it's okay 
that when things change, and God has seen throughout history with his children, that, that, that when he begins to direct them, sometimes the change is scary. Sometimes the cha- change is difficult. Sometimes you don't know how to navigate that change in this season of your life. But your response amidst the stress, your response amidst the worry is incredibly important. The, the way that we interact with it, this, it, 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 it determines really, I believe, how quickly we get to see God's hand and work begin to do something else. And, and to see in this promise, you will conceive and give birth to a son. Now, now remember, she was full-scale dreaming about what, what was to come. She probably would have told you, you know, we're going to get married, we're going to have a couple years together as ourselves, and then we're going to have our first son. Joseph would like to name him David after his great-great-great-great-grandfather. I'd like to name him James, um, so we'll name him James, and, and we'll have a few more after that, and, and life, life will continue. Like, you know, that's how it'll work. But, but here in this, there, there starts to be this, you know, you're going to have a son. A- and just even d- begins to say, okay, this is how he's going to be. This is who he's going to be. It goes into the next verses, a- and she doesn't even get to pick the name anymore. I, I mean, like, these things are all changing. A- and I don't, wanna, I don't want you to think that I'm speaking against having plans. Like, having plans is important. It's good stewardship to have plans. But one of the big questions for us is that when our plans change, how is our heart amidst that change? When, when we get pulled into a season that would be described as suffering, when we get pulled into a season that is described as difficult, because it's easy to go through the seasons where, man, there's more money than we know what to do with. There, there's more fun than what we know what to do with. Those are the easy seasons, but when we get pulled into the difficult seasons, is God less faithful in our mind? And, and I don't want to put this on your shoulders as a heavy burden, but I just want you to begin to be aware. You know, what is directing my action, my words, my faith? Is it the emotions and is it the fears that are directing my habits and my attitude right now? Or is it the truth of the promises of God? Like, like what is controlling and driving us? And this is the thing to be aware of because it's one of kind of those first steps to correct the course of saying, I understand how I'm reacting. Like, I have a moment to step back from my, my freak out and I understand how I reacted, but what was it that drove that? Like, that's what I want you to begin to be aware of, especially this holiday season where our expectations are so high that it's so easy to get worked up about something that really won't matter soon. But to step back and say, okay, things changed, th- my expectations weren't met, but I know who I'm supposed to be and I know how I'm supposed to be. And I'm going to let the instruction of scripture guide me rather than the push and the pull of my emotion. And, and th- this, I'm going to just quickly give you g- this concept that I think is so important in, in so many areas of your life. It's definitely important in your faith because there's times where you're trying to walk and you're trying to live out your faith and you're trying to navigate these challenges. And, and some, some of you guys are just still even early in your faith of saying, you know, I wish that God would, would do this. Like I've asked him to do this and he hasn't done it. And I wish God would answer this and answer this question in my mind. And and so you almost get stuck. It's like, you know, I won't do anything until God settles this. Almost as if God were this vending machine. It's like, God, I've asked you, like, I've put the dollar into the machine. I've pushed the button. You should be giving me my soda now. Like, I'm in control of you, right? Like, you serve me. When I say do this, you're supposed to do this. And God, if you don't do this in my timing, then you must be broken, so I'm going to move on. But, but we need to reorder the fact that we are not in charge of God. God is not serving us, but we are serving him. 
And, and I will tell you, there are times and there are seasons where it's like, man, I need this, I need this answer, I need this experience, I need this help, and, and I'm asking for it, but it's not there, and I'm stuck there. But at the same time, we have this one category where we're still waiting to see God respond, but we have all of this other evidence over here that says, man, God has been with you before. He has been with you through generations. Like, he, he is there, and he's done all this, but this is distracting, but there's all of this. And, and I'm never, ever going to preach to you guys just, you know, what our faith, though we're supposed to have faith like children, that means we have nothing to offer God. We are supposed to understand our faith. We are supposed to ask questions. We are supposed to seek after deep knowledge. Yes, but there are times where we say, okay, I don't have this answer yet, but I can continue to walk forward in my faith, in my life, in the way that I'm supposed to live, because the overwhelming body of evidence points me towards God. And this is true in our faith. This is also should be true in our family relationships, where it's like, okay, I know they said this stupid thing at the party, but we have years, and there's stupid things throughout these years too, but we, we are a family that loves each other. And so I can, I can look past this because of this. Like this concept is important that we have to analyze all of the data, not just the one that we get stuck on. And it enables us to keep moving forward. The next the point that I want you guys to bring into your holiday season and into your faith is I will walk by faith through the times I don't understand. And this isn't that we give up on understanding, but it's saying that I understand enough about God to say I can continue to walk forward even in the face of these questions over here. And continue to seek answers, continue to ask him in prayer, continue to say, God, will you move in this area? And some prayers, we see them come, they, they come they're answered quickly. And some prayers are 10 years, 15 years, 20 years down the road where we see God work in that. But God is not bound by our timing. God is not controlled by us, but we, we are his servants, which is what, one of the things that's so great about Mary's response in verse 35, continuing on in the passage. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. And Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Now this is, this is such a cool thing, but there's a, there, there's a piece in this that I want you to consider. That within these promises of what God was going to do through Mary's child, there's that brief snippet where, where Gabriel just throws out some, some truth, just a fact. It's like, here's promise, 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 truth. The word of God never fails. And think about this from the perspective of the person who's speaking it. Because Gabriel has been there and he's seen God speak across the kingdom of heaven. He's seen him speak truth into the world and into the lives of different leaders throughout different points of history. And every single word that he has seen God speak has come true. I mean, Gabriel has heard it from the very mouth of God. And so there's no question because he says, I see that happen. I see what God has done. I've seen his faithfulness to Isaiah. I've seen his faithfulness to Nathaniel. I've seen his faithfulness throughout generations to Elizabeth, to the fact that she would have a child. And now God is speaking to you that he will do this. And it always comes to be. I mean, that is a strong statement coming from the angel who stood there before God. And then Mary's response. I am the Lord's servant. 
May everything you have said about me come true. There's a great cost in that statement. For her, there would have been an understanding that what, what's being said here, and it's part of her objection, she said, you know, how could th- this happen because in this life right now, yet I, I'm a virgin, like I, I know how babies happen and it, that's not happening in this life right now. The, the, the thing that God was speaking that was going to happen, it wasn't, hey, this is going to happen later. She understood, he was saying, this is starting now. And so for her to realize, I'm, to say, I'm the Lord's servant, may everything that you've said happen, that was saying like, God, I'm holding up my future marriage to you. I'm holding up my life to you because if I'm pregnant and it wasn't my fiance, then people are going to think I was an adulteress and that, that could mean that I, I get put to death. I mean, her yes to God was a really, really big yes. It was a really terrifying yes. It's probably bigger than anything that you or I will ever have to say yes to in our life and our relationship with God. And so she's a great example to that, but I also want to call you back. She's also confused, disturbed, possibly terrified by this. And I know some of you guys are working through really serious issues right now, and your yes to God, it is a terrifying thing to say yes to. But I want to call our, our truth back to that, that foundation that we're supposed to build our life on, that is Jesus Christ and his ways. That we know when we live the way that we're designed to live, when we do what we're designed to do, it always goes best. It always works out. And we know the story. We know the story of Christ. And and what God had planned and dreamed for her, it was even bigger than her own plans and her own dreams for her kids. But I also want to be straightforward with you. It was also more difficult, I think, than her plans and her dreams. It was more challenging it meant she went without things. It meant that she saw her son that she loved dying on a cross, which is, which is an unimaginable pain and heartache to walk through. And so I, I'll be straightforward with you. Sometimes following God, it, it hurts your heart. But I believe that if you were to speak to Mary and ask her, was it worth it? Was saying yes to God worth it? She wouldn't hesitate. She'd say, my son was the person who lived and died to provide forgiveness of sins for me and for the rest of the world. My son, he lived as a light in the darkness. He did something that, that changed everything forever, for all of eternity. And even though he died on earth, he still lives and he lives in me and he lives in those who believe and those who stay connected to him, they have a source and a, and a power and a life and a joy and a love that, that no one else had before he did what he did. And, and there's a passage that, that really kind of spells this out great and, and it's from John 15, 4 and it uses the illustration of a vine. And, and I just want to tell you that for me, when I first started coming to a church that say it this way, they were weird. Like, I walked in and I was like, man, there's something strange going on here because I got dragged to church occasionally as a kid, but it was to an epistle. The weird thing and everything was very orderly and you just went in, you did what you had to do and you left. But when I come in this place, there's a weird thing about them that they're excited about what's happening and they're passionate and, and they, they seem to be happy rather than being dragged there. And I don't understand why they're that way. And, and there's this light that just like, it, it was different there and it made me curious. It made me want to hang around a little bit more. 
And, and the, the truth is that I thought, you know, I was a Christian because I was born in America, I was a white person, so that means I'm in this category of being Christian. And I thought that's what it was. But as I was there, I realized that they had this relationship, this connection with God that was just different than mine. Band, if you guys would make your way on the stage, I'm gonna begin to close this thing up. And li like I said at the beginning, I, I hold this up and ask what it is, and you guys are like, it's, a Christma it's Christmas lights. That's easy. Give me some harder trivia than that. Um, maybe for you, you've walked into church and this is what life in church has felt like. But as you're here, you realize, man, there are some people here who they understand something about God that's different than what I understand. And when I look at their life and I look at their love and I look at their marriage, they're not perfect, but I, I just, I see something different. And the thing that I tell you is different. It's not them. It's not their strengths. It's not that they're, they're better people than you. It has nothing to do that with that. It's that scripture teaches that when you you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, that you'll be saved and that he actually begins this work inside of you. And, and the way that I'd compare it to, it, it's like being plugged in. Um, John 15, four, 4, it says it this way, remain in me and I'll remain in you for a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. That makes sense. It's a fruit illustration. It's Christmas time. We're going to switch that up a little bit. Uh, don't think me a, a heretic, but we'll, we'll just call this first Christmas 15-4. We're going we're gonna to describe it this way. Remain plugged into me, and my power will move through you. For a bulb cannot produce light if it is removed from the line. And you cannot shine unless you remain connected to me. Yes, I am the line, you are the bulbs, and those who remain in me and I in them will produce much light. For apart from me, all is dark. There are Christmas lights all over our town right now. And they're pretty and they're, they're fun kind of on their own right. But they're supposed to be a picture. That, that a great light has come into the world. And we have become, through belief, carriers of that light, carrier of, carriers of that hope, carriers of that love. But it's not from us. It's from Him. And before we get too busy in our holiday shopping, our decorations, our parties, and the things that kind of consume us at Christmas time, I want to call our attention back to that moment where you first believed, where you first fell in love with God, where you first felt, oh my this light and this love, this peace, it's new to me. And remember what it felt like when that light first turned on in the darkness. And we have neighbors that live beside us and they're celebrating Christmas in very similar ways to us, but they need that light and they need that love and they need that hope. And it's gonna come from you. And it's gonna come from me. And this is the opportunity, this is the challenge, this is the vision, is that we would be someone who carries that light. And so this is my encouragement for you guys, my third and closing point, is every Christmas light encourages me to stay connected to Christ this Christmas. As you drive through your neighborhood, and you see every light, I want it to point you back towards Christ. I want to encourage you. It's going to remind you for 30 days, some neighborhoods, maybe 60 
It happens. It won't hurt you, though. But church, the question is, is your faith plugged into him? Maybe you've felt like you've grown dim. Maybe you need to take a step. This is a safe place to take that step. If you need someone to talk to, someone to pray with, someone to encourage you, we would love to be a help. And we're going to take communion in just a moment here. And communion is for all who believe. You don't have to be a member of the church. You can be visiting. It doesn't matter. But if you've placed your hope and your faith in Jesus Christ, you are welcome to participate. You're part of the body of Christ. And we ask that you be a believer in Christ because Scripture actually teaches us to not take communion in an unworthy manner. That if there is unconfessed sin, if there's something that we need to deal with before God, that even in this moment that we would say, God, this is, this is a moment where I give this back to you, where I ask for your forgiveness. This is that spiritual checkpoint where, where God, I deal with these things and I lift them before you. Scripture also says that communion is a proclamation. It's a picture. It's a statement of saying, I believe that Jesus died on the cross, that his body was given for me, and that his blood was spilled out for the remission, the, the forgiveness of my sins. And so it's not just a juice and a bread, but it's a statement of what I believe. And if you believe in Christ, please celebrate communion with us. We'll have a station, two stations up front and a station in the back, so the closest one to you might be behind you. But I'm going to pray. And there will be a song going on, and please go and get communion as you feel led during that song, and then I'll come out and we'll celebrate it together. Lord, I thank you so much that you came as a baby, that you provided signs so that we would know, that you lived a life that we could never achieve and live up to, to give us a gift that we could never earn. So as there has been struggles in our life, as there has been failures, we give them to you right now. We ask your forgiveness and we ask for your strength to not fall back into those things. We trust them into your forgiving hands. We believe that you died on that cross for our sins and rose from the grave to give us new life. So we celebrate communion with you today. In Jesus' name, amen. As you feel led,